If you're thinking of buying a residential rental property, ICS Mortgages can provide an excellent range of flexible buy-to-let mortgages, including interest-only terms of up to 15 years. We'll also help you to refinance your existing portfolio and grow your property investments. Call 0818-427-427, visit icsmortgages.ie or contact your local mortgage broker. ICS Mortgages, the mortgage experts. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply and are subject to change. The entire amount that you've borrowed will still be outstanding at the end of the interest-only period. Dilosk.trading as Dilosk and ICS Mortgages is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. This is News Talk. Welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan, coming up on the show today. From patios to Father Ted, we go gardening with the slightly crazy but always brilliant Dermot Gavin. What should we do with Ireland's derelict houses, refurbish or demolish? We speak to the woman behind the must-have ceramic of the year, the Mindful Mug. And are you struggling to find the perfect flooring for your rooms? Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan is on hand to offer advice. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us at The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. I'm on SineadRyan.com or Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. And you're very welcome along this morning. Now, if you're tuning in from Donegal or Mayo today, there'll only be one property issue on your mind, and that is MICA and the redress scheme. We saw marches during the week to try and get this sorted, and the government has already committed to 90% redress courtesy of the taxpayer. Now, look, I firmly agree that those affected should be able to return to a family home built properly. It must be awful to see your house crumbling before your eyes, not to mention dangerous if you've got kids living there. But with the bill for a full redress scheme edging towards 1.5 billion euros, it's perfectly legitimate to ask the question whether taxpayers should be on the hook for mistakes made by builders. And this isn't the first time, folks. Builders who, if they didn't know Michael was in their product, should have. Regulators should have been on the ball, I know, but we and we know many rogue developers for years and years acted on their own without any proper oversight, independent, blah, 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 across a range of housing issues, Pyrite obviously being the other one. But I've seen some of these houses in Donegal. Now, lots of them are three-bedroom modest family homes. Some of them, and the only word that comes to mind, are mega mansions. Fabulous homes, massive rooms, extensions, gorgeous, fabulous windows overlooking the beautiful views that are up there. But honestly, I don't believe it's right that my tax euro returns that to you. I'm sorry. I agree with the collective response and everyone needs housing supports to work for them. But I don't agree in restoring your enormous trophy property to you when you can clearly afford such a grand home or at least contribute to it. That's my view on things. Um, I know it won't be universal. Are you affected? What do you believe? Will your taxes be helping to pay this enormous bill that lies ahead of us with all of the other bills that we have to pay as well? Well, look, let me know. Uh, 53106, give out to me if you want to. Uh, all views are welcome here on The Home Show here on News Talk. And you are very welcome along this morning. 
something a little less contentious and hopefully no dodgy building materials involved. I don't know about you, but with the longer days and the warmer weather, I am using my garden more than ever. And the big thing on the agenda for me is getting the patio ready for all of those barbecue evenings and early morning coffee breaks. I have a cobble locked patio, which drives me nuts because all of the weeds grow up in the middle of it. And uh, I have to supervise my husband going and picking them all up on his hands and knees. <laughs> Not that I would be doing it myself or anything. My first guest today is no stranger to the home show uh, and indeed patios, celebrity gardener, dear McGavin. Good morning. Welcome to studio. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Now, uh, how's the new shop? I passed it the other day, actually, and um, it looks fab. Oh, it's cool. It's pouring out onto it the really, on, onto the street. It really is cool. So we have a, a new shop in Monkstown, indoor, outdoor plants. We roast our own coffee there. We play records and vinyl and we have disco balls. What more would you want? What more indeed? That sounds like a perfect shopping experience in Monkstown. And you can go for a walk by the sea afterwards. Now, we, we said we talked this week about patios in particular because they're is, you know, loads and loads of materials available that you can get. You can get decking, you can tile it, you can do what I have with the old cobble lock, which I'll hope to change next year. What is best for a planted patio? So for people who want to put in pots and want to put in a herb garden and want to maybe put in borders on it with planters in it, what do you favour? What's your own patio like? Okay, my patio is made, I changed it last year and I put in... A very interesting choice, encaustic cement tiles. So, you know, these tiles that are uh, Moroccan type tiles that were very popular maybe 100 years ago, hugely popular again now in contemporary designs. So I wanted some colour and I wanted an indoor-outdoor feel. But really, I wanted vibrant colour. I wanted that idea of the Spanish or the Greek holiday. So I got from, uh, down in Waterford, it's a brilliant company. Uh, I think one of the best in this country or in Britain, best tiles they supplied really vibrant. I was just out there last night until 11 o'clock, now not enjoying it, <laughs> uh, changing the pots yeah. uh, and doing it and uh, getting the power washer out and getting it ready for this summer. All right. So tiles, now uh, you don't want to slip, you don't want to slide. You're not talking here about porcelain kitchen no. tiles. There's a whole separate product. These range. are made from cement and they're okay. and cement dye. If you go on YouTube, you'll see the videos of them being constructed. They're extraordinary to see how they're, they're made. They're a really beautiful thing. And they're made, they're not baked in a kiln, they're made from uh, compression. So its weight goes down on them and they have that grip. Now, I know they have that grip because in that shop in Monkstown, I wanted to use them yeah. and we're watering all the time. And because the shop is owned by Dunn's stores, they were concerned about the slip. So I had to get the slip ratings sure. and they work. So okay. they were passed. All right. So yeah. if you're, you know, spraying hoses on that the whole Absolutely time, fine. people aren't going to fall over. Because yeah. you would be a little bit worried about that. And I know some of the decks that you can get, they look fabulous. Yeah. But you go on your ear on one of those. Okay. And a deck a in the right situation is a fantastic thing. In the wrong situation, it can be lethal. Yeah. It can be absolutely. Yeah. So in an open, sunny place where there's good air, cir- air circulation and also so where it's in an elevated situation, uh, if your garden runs away from you or something like that, yeah. it can be fantastic. And it's, it's a lovely breaker and you can kind of nearly be looking over. It's nearly kind of got that colonial aspect of, of being able to look down over your garden. Absolutely, yeah. which kind of I have in, in, in my garden anyway. And even with decking, there's composite materials that are very, very mm. good now. Mm. There were issues with them 10 years ago that the UVF light would deteriorate the colour mm. of them. But now they're absolutely... Now, lot, lots of people, of course, they'll have their table and chairs, they'll have maybe a fire pit or something on their deck, but they also have plant pots of some kind. Yeah. And I find that they can discolour the area underneath them 
badly in a lot of cases and because you're watering the pots and not the rest of it. Yes. So how is it better to elevate them or, or how do you prevent that? Better to elevate them for a different reason. I don't get too worried about the discoloration. It's, you know, it's wear and tear, isn't it? But for good drainage, I put some huge pots on my terrace, uh, huge terracotta pots on my terrace last year. Uh, and I put trees and, and whatever. And then I found the plants weren't doing particularly well because they were so heavy pressing down on this tiled surface, the water wasn't escaping. Oh, okay. So I, I think good air circulation, just good plant yeah, health, it's a good idea to... Yeah, have them up on little blocks or something like that. Uh, you can blocks. get blocks. Uh, I'm now using wooden blocks, wooden yeah. lats underneath yeah. them, which is just raising them. Or uh, some of the suppliers will have little terracotta feet that you can put underneath okay, the pots. Okay, right. That is a good tip. Uh, now, uh, one of the things we're also interested in here on the Home Show is that whole area of sustainability and we are on a mission to save the bees. You are involved with a rewilding uh, campaign. Talk to me about that. So Keeling supply all our kind of soft fruits in the in, in the supermarket and they came up with this idea this year. I think led by a gardener who I met during the week, uh, Dennis Kenny, who was absolutely amazing. So they have, out in St. Margaret's, they have this farm shop and they have this uh, the, uh, place where they grow everything and it's just unbelievable. But all around it, they have gone wildflowers. And the bees around the oxtail, the daisies, the cornflowers, the poppies. Magic poppies aren't great this year because it's been cold um, uh, and the weather hasn't been great. And that's kind of gardening for you. So they came up with this campaign to send out throughout this island 100 million wildflower seeds. 100 million wildflower wow. seeds. So if people buying their tub of uh, these berries could send off, get their packets of seed. And wildflower seeds are so simple. Okay. Absolutely, just they really the are. Thing. Just chuck them down. I mean, they, these are flowers that grow all by themselves anyway, without human intervention. A lot of the time. That, that, that's right. Now you have to be a little bit careful. The ones that Keelings have done are native Irish wildflowers, so grown in this country, all native species, and all suited to this country. You need an open, sunny position. Okay. You need to clear your soil of any perennial weeds, so anything that could become dominant them. or take yeah. over or, or, or whatever. Then you just sprinkle them, and you kind of firm them in. Just step over the area pray for rain it'll always rain within a few days and then they take off six eight weeks later they will be flowering now is there a temptation when we see kind of wildflowers coming up unbidden that you're like you're mad to get in there and tidy it all up and you know mow between them and you know is your sense of it is just create that patch because you see it in some of the public parks now. Yeah. some of the councils are doing that they the just d- leave it alone and they job. signs up saying you know uh, absolutely leave, leave it and yeah. even I came in on the M11 to uh, today so in from Wicklow in uh, it, right into Dublin on the uh, verge uh, there they're leaving everything die down but they've been very clever uh, the, 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 the council there they've mowed a strip where it touches the lawn and they've mowed a central sip so it shows you that this area has been looked after and then the bulbs are dead. the last bulb is the allium and it's probably uh, hundreds oh, of thousands of an allium. purple sensation <laughs> have been brightening up our yeah. motorway verges so yeah just letting the grasses grow grass will produce pollen Okay. Uh, um, okay. And bees, but especially moths at night, take that pollen. And they will just do their thing and do. What and they what do. they do is looking after our food sources, looking yes. after the planet, looking after. Our, uh, they're just part Not all about of the honey. ecosystem. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's okay. about the work that they they do. Okay, I am of course speaking with Dermot Gavin here on the Home Show here on News Talk, um, and we're delighted to have him back in studio. Now we have a little bit of audio before we talk about the last thing that uh, that we want to cover. Take a listen. 
Why are we playing the music to Father Ted? Because we're having a festival. At, at the start of lockdown, I think I told you this before, we went on, we pressed, uh, March 18th last year, we pressed Instagram Live and we started broadcasting. You did. Five nights it a week. It has taken off. It's slightly bonkers now, if you don't mind me saying so. It's, I think it's more than slightly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's anarchic gardening. Uh, it's In fun. the captain's hat. Yeah, uh, with, with a cowboy hat, with a captain's hat, with where, wherever. Sometimes from a lake in Cavan on a rowing boat, which was last week, singing Land of Hope and Glory. And of course, what else would you be doing? <laughs> so we do this broadcast five nights a week from 7 to 8pm. And we discovered we had an audience, but not just a local or an Irish audience or a British audience all around the world. At the as we come near to the easing of restrictions and the end of lockdown, we realised that all these people wanted to get together and meet each other because they've formed their own community. They have their own, there, yeah. Well, they have their own WhatsApp groups, <laughs> yeah. Facebook right, groups, okay. or all, all of these sort of thing, and there are thousands of them. So we decided on a festival based on the Night of the Nearly Dead, which is uh, an episode of Father Ted, where Owen MacLove, the kind of Nathan Carter. Yeah. Type character uh, is besieged by uh, little old ladies in woolen hats. So between that and the fire festival, the festival where everything went wrong, everything went oh, fantastic. Netflix, I think it's still on Netflix. It's still on series. Netflix. Uh, worth a watch. Absolutely I hope you don't get into trouble like he did. Well, <laughs> that uh, that's our inspiration. Okay. So for three days in September, 10, 11 and twelve, we're taking over the town of Balanskelligs and we're putting on the maddest of gardening festivals. A festival of garden conversations. We have people coming from Africa, from America, from all over Europe and of course for, uh, from from this country. And What will you be doing? Because, I mean, I know, okay, you're saying gardening, right? Yeah. And I'm sure you'll have you and gardening yeah. experts and all kinds of things. But is it for, this isn't like little old ladies kind of potting plants, is it? Yeah, it's for that too. Yeah, it's for that. So, first of all, it's gardening conversations. We will be talking gardening. We'll be talking about rewilding. We'll be talking about all the things that are important. We will also have uh, an event called the Revolting Riffraff. Our audience have adopted the name Riffraff because of something my co-presenter Paul said about them and they are going to revolt. They could put us on trial, they could have a pray through town. We have gardening bingo, whatever that is, we don't know yet. Okay. Uh, we have the Riffraff Ball on the Saturday evening. We have discos, we have demonstrations and we have lots of guests, brilliant gardeners uh, from all around the place coming to share their ideals, their work, their planting schemes, their projects and giving us all advice. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I sincerely hope that by September you get to go ahead with that. I'm sh- I'm confident that well, you will. And we, it's out, it mostly will be outdoors, of course. It'll be outdoors. Yeah. We have the most amazing beachside venues. As I say, we're taking over this whole town. Brilliant support down there yeah. in Balanskelligs. Uh, you find out details just by coming on to our Instagram and tickets are available through Eventbrite. Okay, and that's Dermot Gavin's Instagram account, which is worth following at the best of times with a stiff drink sometimes. <laughs> and <laughs> you helps. pick up great ideas and enjoy it. All right. Dermot Gavin, thank you so much for coming back into us and joining us on the home show. And we'll catch up with you in September for that event and we'll talk to you again. All right. Great to see you. very much. Okay. 
Now, everyone knows that I have proud Limerick heritage, so you can imagine when I read that a much-loved local building, Kurgarrow House, was raised in the early hours of last Saturday morning, many, many Limerick locals were saddened. Now, the iconic red brick house had stood on the banks of the Shannon since the late 18th century, and its demolition had been postponed since January, but last weekend, early in the morning, the building was torn down. So it's an issue right around the country to refurbish or to demolish, and that is the question that has been posed when it comes to old and vacant properties. In this particular site, we're led to believe a cafe and residential housing will go in, and it's much needed. So how should we manage properties like this that we all have in our local areas? Well, to discuss it, I'm joined by Emma Galise, architectural historian and native Limerick woman. Good morning, Emma. Welcome back to The Home Show. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, what is your reaction to the demolition of this particular property, Kurugaro House, and, and ones like it around the country? I, I was so disappointed to see this. And I think the people doing it knew themselves to do it, I think, at about 5 to 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. They knew the reaction that it would get. And it's hard to believe that Limerick was the city of culture only seven years ago. And we've gone from that highlighting all our fabulous historic connections to knocking down such a prominent building by the river. Right. Now, you know, whether or not it was prominent, we did get a statement in from Limerick City and County Council, which is extremely long. But essentially, it says that the building was not of such special interest to warrant inclusion in the record of protected structures and that the council is committed to our built heritage and on a number of occasions has stepped in to protect and preserve properties where a building of significance was endangered, threatened or made vulnerable to inappropriate proposals. It wasn't that special, Emma, is the message. Well, they're they're hiding behind the fact it wasn't on the list of protective structures, even though the local councillors had voted for it. And that seems to be the, the message they keep putting across. But the same was with the Aratley House last year when it was not. Indeed. That, that yeah. wasn't on the list of protective structures. That seems to be their only argument for it not being special. So since 2018 it has local campaign has been going to put on this protective structures and that shouldn't be the the overriding reason for a building not being in commas special but how do you decide between something that has historic merit and something that's just old and crumbling because you know there is that piece where just because it's old doesn't mean we should hang on to it and maybe the cost of renovating it and getting it up to structure and what have you gained as a result of doing that, except a couple of locals go, oh, there's that lovely building down the end of the road. It is a difficult balance, though, isn't it? It is. And what people don't realise is they think that it's just left to a small group of people to decide what's of historic value or not. But anybody can propose a building to be protected. And it's not just historical reasons. There can be socials of somebody of prominence, like with the Aratley House, lived in it or had a connection to it, artistic, technical and again, like historical or architectural. So there's there's, there's different criteria for buildings to be protected. And I don't see what this rush is to demolish it. Now, I don't want things to be wrapped up in cling film. I I studied urban conservation cities. They're like, you know, you, you, you want new layers to be continuing and added all the time. But I don't think demolishing a building outright is the answer. A good, a good architect can incorporate an older structure into a new design. Isn't there a vacant site register that's up and running at the moment? And it's supposed to recognise old and derelict buildings that we can reuse and repurpose, perhaps with a decent architect in charge. Are we maximising use of that or where, where is it at the moment? 
Yeah, so in 2017, the sack was brought in. So it's for derelict sites. So unfortunately, that doesn't include buildings. And some local authorities have been very good at enacting this. And there's tax levies since, I think, 2019 mm. for those sitting on the sites. And it, it would deter people from sitting on buildings and hoarding and just waiting for the land value to go up. Mm. And I think they need to bring in a new version of this for the buildings. There's no obligation on a local authority to have a buildings at risk register. On Tashka, who I used to be a member of, they they voluntarily run one. And I was doing an article a few years ago and I was ringing up local authorities and the department and I was I was playing dumb and saying, is there a buildings at risk register? And everyone was referring to this voluntary compiled one and I kept saying but what if they weren't there what if Fantastica wasn't there to put this list together what would you do and Mm. none of them can answer me and they are ticking the box with this vacant sites register Mm. but it's not really addressing the buildings lying vacant in our cities there's there's a new scheme um the town center living uh, initiative yeah yeah that was published last year about a year ago and so ironically there's six pilot towns that are getting money directly for derelict buildings, but not our cities. So in a way, smaller towns are going to benefit. Yeah, so it needs to be kind of maybe centralised and then rolled out on a more structured basis. And we also need modern architecture and modern buildings. Goodness knows we need more housing. So there is a place for taking old disused buildings, if they're not of particular significance, and, and doing something better with them that might benefit the 21st century. Don't you agree? I completely agree. We have fantastic contemporary architects, but at the same time, we are in the middle of a crisis of climate emergency. So we have to look at the inherent carbon in buildings that are already there. So knocking down our buildings is the best way to have a sustainable um, city. But mm. this is the discussion we should all be having. And your show is is one of the, the few right now that are looking at buildings from an ethical point of view rather than just what will bring money in, what mm. will bring in revenue. Well, listen, Emma Gleese, uh, architectural historian and from Limerick, uh, thank you very much <laughs> for joining us on The Home Show and your ongoing quest to save our older buildings. Thanks, Sinead. Now, everyone knows that we love to showcase the best of Irish design here on The Home Show. Well, this week I came across some stunning ceramics and one particular item grabbed my attention. It's called the Mindful Mug and it comes from ceramic artist Cora Commons. And I'm delighted to say that Cora is joining me now on the show. Good morning, Cora. You're very welcome along. Hi, Sinead. How are you? Thanks for having me. So you make mindful ceramics. Can you explain what you mean by that? Okay, so yeah, for me, um, I suppose I view the way that I work um, like almost like a, an active form of meditation. Um, mm. And for, for me, who's somebody who's very busy brained and has very active mind, um, I find it very difficult to to just sit and to be still and to be with my thoughts. And, you know, I find that, um, doing, doing meditation and doing mindfulness very difficult. So when I'm using clay, it's so grounding. It's such... Um, it's such a slow process. You're you're very present. The the material really leads the way. So you need to uh, you need to follow it. You need to work very slowly, and you need to have like hands-on connection all the time with it. Now the mindful mug. Let me try and describe it to listeners who haven't actually seen it. And I'll pop up a picture on my social media after the um after the show on Sh- on Sinead underscore Ryan on Twitter. Um, this. It, it's not a mug in the conventional sense, so it's not round. It's kind of like curved, warped, 
a wrap yeah. around it, it kind of fits snugly into your hand without a handle is is that that's not a great description but it is beautifully painted on glazed on the inside and the outside yeah. what is the reason for that for that hand painting on the inside and the shape of it Cora um, well, the, the whole idea really is based on the idea of the Japanese uh, tea bowl and the Japanese tea ceremony. So um, in the Eastern world, they, they are able to sit and sit for hours and consider what they're doing during the, the tea ceremony. So I was looking at a way of trying to bring that like into our rushed world and um, using something that you use every day. So, you know, you taking the mug where you can use it as a kind of a tactile stimulus. So... Um, you know, without anyone having to practice mindfulness by just using the mug, you're doing it without even knowing because the pinched surface, you need to take a you need to take a moment to find where your hand fits the surface of the mug and you need to take a moment to find where your, your mouth fits the surface of the rim because it's um it's curved, you know. So my my idea of thinking is that in that in that second awareness um, you know, that's where you're, you're being mindful and you're kind of consciously choosing to be. Now, I know that there was another inspiration for the creation of the Mindful Mug. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, and with all my ceramics, really, yeah. Um, Ten years ago, uh, we lost our little boy, Fionn, um, when he was only two weeks old. So, um, you know, after that time, it was, you know, as you can imagine, a really difficult time. So... Um, it was a time where I just felt really difficult to to be with my thoughts and to you know to to sit with my myself really. Um, so thankfully, you know, I was able to to find to go back to this outlet that I already had, but I didn't kind of realise how important it was going to be. I, I took workshops with um, a parent support group uh, called A Little Lifetime. And in those workshops, they used creativity, um, you know, as a way of bringing parents together. And it was just a really safe space for people to talk and to cry and to and to not have to talk as well, you know. Um, so I think, uh, you know, following those workshops um, and then I was lucky enough to be able to facilitate workshops with them where we made little um grave decorations but after that you know I, I felt like I really needed to throw myself into my work and to use that you know as a way of of healing and, and working through grief. I'm sorry to hear about that tragedy with Fionn because it, it's just um, incomprehensible um, for any parent to go through that. Did you find that the creativity required the concentration required was was maybe a way to channel grief that you were carrying and create something positive out of it or is that is that just being too glib no it's not like I know it, it the whole thing sounds a little glib and it didn't just happen overnight and you know it took a long long time um to to kind of sit with that and um you know there were times where like when you have a creative mind you know it it's fantastic. It's a great way of escaping. But um, when you are trying to kind of channel it into a body of work, it can feel really frustrating because when you can't sit still with yourself, like a really important part of the process of for an artist is to be able to um, to to sit with your ideas and to kind of um, you know use your own inspiration. So it did take a long time, but thankfully, you know, I did work through it after a few years and. I think when I kind of stopped thinking about what, 
you know, who I was making for and like that I wasn't making for other people and I wasn't worried about what other people were going, you know, if they were going to like it or not. And I was just really true to myself. That's when everything really changed. Yeah, that's the response of a true artist, I think. Now, there has been a fantastic reaction to the Mindful Mug. Did it surprise you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't really ready for it. Um, I, I just put it up on my social media page before Christmas and yeah, I got a huge, you know, a fantastic response and I was, I was so delighted. I, I work very small scale. I don't take a lot of orders. I just do a few a month because it's more about, about what I get from it as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to keep it very like that I can still put time into every piece that I make and, you know, um, yeah, so it was a a huge response and a a big surprise. Okay. Well, look, you've two exhibitions coming up in August, later on in the year. Where can people go if they want to find out a little bit more about you and your work, Cora? All my work is on my Instagram page, Cora Cummins Ceramics, and my Facebook page, Cora Cummins Ceramics. And um, the two exhibitions that are coming up, uh, one of them is going to be in August in the Theatre Royal, and that's a collaboration with the Theatre Royal and GOMA in Waterford. And the second one then is the Made in Ireland exhibition, which is run by the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland. And that's going to be in um, November. And that's, um, it was a call out for all different Irish um, crafts, you know, so it'd be a collaboration of, of all different crafts. All right. Well, listen, folks, get a look at Cora's uh, Instagram site. It has the most beautiful photographs on it of all of her work. Uh, And it's not just the mindful mug, uh, but it too is there. And there's some lovely, lovely items there. Cora Cummins, ceramic artist. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Roisin Murphy is away filming for a few weeks, so I am delighted to welcome to the home show in studio, Jennifer Sheehan, Home of the Year winner. Jennifer, you're very welcome. Nice to see you in real life. Great to be here. As they say, IRL, (laughs) as the kids say. Um, And we thought we would ask you to have a look at a couple of items because you have just done so much work with your own house. (laughs) And one of the things that we get lots and lots of uh, reader queries on is the whole area of flooring. Mm. Now, for me... I'm still fighting the carpet versus wood battle in my head, right? Because, I'm, But I know it has moved on a long time since then. I know that in your beautiful home of the year, you had put down these lovely um, patterned tiles. Mm. Talk to me about tiles and flooring and what other ideas that people can have. Yeah, I think putting those patterned tiles in the hallway is the greatest housekeeping trick ever. How so? Because you can't see the dirt. Fabulous. Find I yourself love them already. a right. lovely pattern tile, <laughs> put it in your hallway and you can't see the dirt. And the greatest thing about them as well, I've black and white tiles and I got black grout to go between them. So gone are the days of down in your knees, There's scrubbing with those magic sponges. I actually think that's a super idea because um, you get that lovely look and that dark grout you don't think it would work no but it's part of the pattern so it's something to think about when you're looking for your own tiles particularly if you have a black and white you're you know it's a fairly standard pattern you can go safe enough with black or with white one thing I came across when I was looking at tiles and this could be the case if you have maybe a plain or neutral tile already in your hallway you can get 
grout pens, you can get grout paint and you can get a whole range of colours. So if you're willing to go a bit bold, not only could you go dark between tiles, but you could go for hot pink or a nice green Could or something. Imagine? I've used those grout pens because yeah. mainly in the bathroom and they're actually very good because yeah. it means you don't have to get out the silicone gun and redo everything yeah. and the, the grouting and all that. But, but you're just colouring them. Yeah, you it's are. It's kind yeah. of a mindful it's exercise. It's a marker. It's a marker. Never thought of pink. Not sure I will well, think of pink. Well, <laughs> pink might be a bit out there. There's probably a range of colours in between black and pink that you could choose but it's just something to think about. If you're sick of, of you know, scraping out your grout cleaning out your grout, whatever. There's a lot of options out there and you can go for a whole yeah. bunch of different colours. I imagine that pink would work Brilliant. in your fabulous downstairs blue with yeah. the disco ball, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> now, my tiles in there are wild already, but, you know, future homes, you never know. I could work it in. All right. Now, you did mention to me that you're going to talk about red brick. Yes. Now, and I reminded you, we're doing floors, We're Jennifer. doing floors and it's not something I would have expected. So I heard about this from a neighbour of mine who was raving about another neighbour's house, an architect a few doors down from me. She's got the most beautiful house. And I heard she'd read big floors and I thought, I don't like the sound of that. It just doesn't, something in me just kind of rebelled against it. I didn't like it. And then I saw it and my God, it is just a stunning effect. It's really, really nice. And it's a way to bring in red brick if you maybe, it's something that you want, but if you you know, didn't get that red brick house that you wanted or you don't have a space for a red brick wall or you, you know, it's something you want to bring in but you don't have a place to put it. Flooring. It's something I never would have thought of but it looks amazing. How does that work? We're not talking here about cast concrete, are no, we? No, no, it is brick. Wall brick. And, and does it not crumble or... So, there you can get specific brick slips for flooring. You can okay. actually get tile that looks very like bricks. And as well, if you think about the shape of brick, you've got that rectangular shape. So that means you can do, you know, either the classic red brick pattern yeah or you could go for a chevron if you were really bold out there oh, like nearly a, like a parquet like a parquet <laughs> red brick floor I mean talk about pushing the boundaries of what we consider to be flooring and it can be quite smooth so obviously when it's laid as a floor one thing that I would have thought would be that it's really uneven and maybe you know I was thinking about stubbing my toe and mm, having a wobbly yeah. kitchen table um, but actually it's done very smoothly obviously okay. whoever's laying it is, is thinking yeah, about it's not that. DIY so project right have okay. a look now it's um, new. I, I might do that or I'll probably just come back to wood so Go talk to, to me about <laughs> I'm not very brave talk yeah. to me about wood because I, I think we all have an idea that the ideal uh, flooring in some rooms is that gorgeous patinaed old oh. Yeah. wide planks with lots of knots in them that's pretty expensive to put down it's so expensive. no most people go for either uh, like that kind of wood covering you mm-hmm. know the semi-solid mm-hmm. or even the laminate which are actually really good quality they're, now they are now they're indistinguishable almost they're not like so, a, a kind of formica no they're like finish. they're not this weird shiny kind of you know clearly printed on wood that i i would have associated with them years ago but wood i i'm with you i think solid wood is unbeatable it's fabulous, it's natural, and it does build up that gorgeous patina over time. You know, you need to like that, but I think there's nothing not to like personally. The one thing about wood is that it's over budget for me, right? When I was looking, I was like, right, I can't afford that. It's out, so I can't, you know, I can't go down that route. The other thing that came up, and it's not a deal breaker, but it's quite a lot of upkeep. So you need to be coming back to it maybe once a year or so, polishing, oiling, yeah. varnishing, whatever it is that you need to do. So. Yeah. You know, it depends on how, inter- how interested Is there, you are. A, a lots and lots of homes now are built or retrofitted with underfloor heating. Do you have to be yeah. careful what kind of floor you put down? Because yeah. it seems to me some of that those materials could get warped. Yeah, so some traditional wood, hardwood, they can warp uh, if you have underfloor heating underneath them. Mm. So they're not ideal. Now, I think some of the newer engineered woods 
fine. But just if you're if it's something that you have in your house or something that you want, definitely think yeah. about it. Yeah. And they're not waterproof always. So if it's something I really wanted it all the way through in my kitchen and I have it all through my open plan downstairs, hallway, living, dining, etc. And I wanted that consistent look because it is such a very small space in my house. Yeah, and you wanted that flow and the eye to go. But you do have to be careful of wood in a kitchen. Yeah. So you can go for laminate, but if you are going for laminate, make sure that you're looking for a waterproof laminate if you're putting it in your kitchen because they're not standard waterproof. They're not all waterproof, but you can get it. Well, listen, let us know what you think. I'm still, I'm afraid, an old-fashioned girl (laughs) on the old floors. But is red brick your thing? Text us on 53106 and Let's see if we can get votes in. All I'm for, saying is, look at it. For Jennifer. Have All right. We, we take a look. Actually, if you send me a photograph of it now, I'll right, push up I after the show on my Twitter feed and Good people idea. can make their own mind up. All right. Take a listen to this. Now, Patrick McGinty, an Irishman of note, fell in for a fortune and he bought himself a goat. Says he sure of goat's milk, I'm going to have me fill. But when he brought an... Uh, now, I have two rather what? younger people than me staring at me. One is my producer and the other is Jennifer Jean saying, who in the name of the Lord is that? Well, older listeners me included, will recognise that as the late Val Dunican. But if I mention Bing Crosby, John F. Kennedy as well in that sentence, what piece of furniture springs to mind? Well, it's the rocking chair, of course. (laughs) Jennifer, you have been looking at this unique item. I actually think it embodies all of Irish cottage you know, Absolutely. that to me that it is the one piece back to Peg. And I'm sorry for mentioning her folks <gasps> on this show. Oh, Peg. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the rocking chair is just a symbol of, well, I don't know, for me, comfort, comfort. Um, home. warmth, yeah. home, hearth, all that kind yes, of thing. Totally. Um, talk to me about rocking chairs and the origin yeah. of them. Interesting that you mentioned JFK there because he famously had one, obviously. And his he's often linked with Lincoln who was shot in a rocking chair. So very much on the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) Apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was your evening? (laughs) Um, But I don't think they carry that risk inherently. I think that was a separate fact. So rocking chairs were ostensibly invented by Benjamin Franklin, but that is highly disputed. I prefer to think that donkeys years ago, somebody stuck something on the bottom of a chair and found out that it rocked and that they went from there. So traditionally, they were very much that old wooden rocker, on the porch, you know, your grandparents mm. would have one. You'd nurse a baby in one. Mm. And they were actually mostly used outside to begin with. So when I, you know, what springs to mind, first of all, is that kind of creaky, wooden, yeah, warm and comfortable, really, really because beautiful. Because it's nearly like a fetal movement. Like when you have a small baby, mm. your instinct is to rock. Right. It, yeah. Your body back and forward. You know, in, even mothers like me who have grown up children, when you hold a new baby, it's yeah. just that automatic instinct. So I wonder, is that rocking motion built into our DNA nearly? I think it is. I really think it is. I mean, even now I'm sitting on a chair and I like to, you know, I'm rocking back and yeah. forth because it swings around <laughs> yeah, and it's just a now. That, might, that mightn't end well for anybody <laughs> in the studio. fly but. out the window. <laughs> um, but it is a comfort and it's a really, it's, it is a natural instinct of yeah. movement. We're not supposed to just sit still for extended yeah. periods of time. Now, of course, when, when I think of a rocking chair, I'm thinking of the, the wooden version yes. with the bent wood and, you know, kind of chair on it. But there are modern options available Absolutely, now. yeah. So there, I mean, there's the evolution, right? You have that beautiful old wooden one. And I was educated last night, actually. I was talking to an 
up and coming furniture designer. Um, and he was telling me about Sam Maloof. So anyone listening who's into furniture might know that name. His chair is in the Smithsonian. Very classic rocker. And, and go and, and Google it because it's a beautiful, stunning chair that just makes you want to sit and rock and float back and forth all day long. It's stunning. What I think is the opposite of that then is the lazy boy. So the big Oh, this is like the one in Friends where Chandler friends. and Joey clicked <laughs> yeah. and back with the Oh yeah, okay. Beer in the arm, speakers in the headdress, like completely opposite to this gorgeous cottagey porch life, you know. Uh, but they do rock. They <laughs> okay. do rock back and forth. Gosh. So they fit the reef. Um, and then somewhere in the middle, you have this gorgeous, much cleaner classic style. So Eames. Oh yeah, well, of course, that's a gorgeous the the Eames classic is it's just a one. beautiful beautiful chair and I mean they cost a lot of money they cost days. a lot and you're paying for the design you know you, you look at something like that and you think well the materials are, are quite nice but really you're, you're paying for, for that really classic design so anyone listening I mean it's that beautiful moulded plastic it comes in lots of different colours it's really really comfortable and it has that really classic Eames crisscrossed you know mm. uh, metal bars thin metal bars on, on the feet um, and it's a really classic chair and it fits. So the thing about those smaller, newer, neater ones is that they fit. You don't have to, you know, dedicate an entire quarter of your, your living room or whatever yeah, it might be. And they do take up a bit chair. of room because it's not just the stationery, the size of the chair. Right. And the rocking chairs would normally be a bit bigger than regular chairs, but you have to allow the space behind. Yeah, and in front because you want the feet up. Yeah. You know, so you need to stick the feet out and have some type of a footrest or whatever and get really into it. So you yeah. need the space. Of course you do. Yeah. Okay, so there are modern options available. Now, it seems to me we've taken it even one step further. Uh, because probably within that realm of rockers yeah. is the swing chair. The swing chair. So the one that's so that, popular. This, these are the ones now that kind of hang from a, a chain. Anything or, you can. Yeah. <laughs> then you can throw a rope around. Exactly. <laughs> they aren't as controlled, obviously. I, I'm yeah. always worried about sitting into one of those. A, that I won't be able to get back out again. <laughs> but B, that you're kind of, you could be spinning rather than swinging back yeah. and forward. And I think they do spin. So there's a couple of types of those ones. You can get them that, you know, bolt into your ceiling. And obviously you need to be you need to know what you're doing, right? Don't just lash it into a ceiling and hope for the best. It needs to be in a joust or, or whatever. So there's some of those beautiful classic egg style. I know Silka Design is a really um, kind of the the one that everybody wants. It's sustainably made and it's absolutely gorgeous. Lidl had ones, I think it was back in April. There was a run. Blue out. There was a run. outside the door. <laughs> and they were, they were all for outdoors. So I really like that. You can get them kind of self-contained units. They have the over, you know, the arch overhead. They hang off themselves. And so you can put them anywhere. And they're just so cosy and comfy. And I just love that idea of sitting out in the garden or near a window with the coffee in hand in the morning and looking out and just chill out in the warm summer breeze. It's OK, heavenly. so what tips would you offer people if you want to create a corner in your in your home yeah. that you want a rocking chair in or a swing chair in? Yeah. Um, how do you best um, kind of make that area peaceful because that's why you're getting it really isn't totally. it totally so first of all you're dead right about space Sinead because you don't want to be scuffing your walls you are you know you once you get into that thing you're going to want to be swinging around in it so think about that first of all and don't try to squeeze it into somewhere that's you know going to limit your movement once you get into it the second biggest thing I think is light because you know do you want to be sitting at it in the morning do you want the morning light coming in do you want to be enjoying sunshine with your morning coffee or is it an end of day thing for you do you know do you want to be Clocking off, closing the laptop, coming home, whatever it is, um, and enjoying your 
aperitif for your after dinner digestive. Oh, whatever I'm there, it might I'm there, be. I'm, both, both is the answer. One in each hand. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, thank you so much, uh, Jennifer Sheehan, for joining us in studio this week. Now, that is all we have time for on the home show this week. If you'd like to get involved in the show, have a question or a guest maybe that you'd like us to have on the show, uh, do get in touch. 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. I'm on Sinead Ryan.com or Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. 